I didn't realize what my wife was actually going to be sharing. We, and she didn't know, she didn't have, we didn't, I didn't share my slides with her last night. Usually we do. And so I'm quite blown away with what she shared because um, I feel like she was actually looking at my slides and uh, stealing some of what I was planning to say. And that's good. So I'm feeling like God is in this. So Lord, oh Lord, thank you that you're such a good shepherd. You're so faithful to lead us, Lord. And we just bless you, Lord, for, for your leading this morning. Thank you that you instructed your shepherds to feed your sheep, Lord. And as a shepherd of this flock, Lord, I just submit myself to you saying, you are the chief shepherd. You are the boss, the Lord of this church. We are his people, and that means we are your people. I'm your son. I'm, a sh I'm an under-shepherd, Lord. And so, Lord, may, may what, what the, the green pastures that, that I lead the sheep to this morning be the pastures that you are wanting them to feed from. In Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. Amen. And welcome to everybody online. We know there are a number of people who, for various reasons, are choosing the online option. And again, I just want to thank um, Jonathan Buchle just for all their work. We were again here on Friday for a couple of hours, you know, Saturday morning, just testing everything. And we're just so delighted that we can stream. I'm actually surprised at how many churches are choosing not to stream. They're still pre-recording and doing live because streaming is just, let me say, another, another animal that I never realized. But just praise God, we've got young people who actually know what all these cables do and know which cables and what software and everything. So praise God for that. So my first slide and my first picture that I want to put up is actually this one. And that picture was taken on the 2nd of October in 2005. And that was our very first service in our home in Hayfields. And um, um, I just wanted to point out some people so I'm actually the guy in the, in the blue shirt on your right, if you haven't noticed. And my wife is in the center there, in the light pink top. Um, and uh, just to her left, the little girl in red is Anne-Marie, our oldest daughter, who's now married. Okay. And then the other little girl next to me over there is Heidi, who was six years old, Taylor. She was six years old. Okay, you do the calcs. 15 years later, she's a big girl. Okay, and then I want to point out Abigail. Can you see Tokazani's holding Abigail, the top left there? Abigail sucking her thumb. Okay, Abigail sitting in front here. She was one then. Do the calcs. Okay, um, so so that's uh, Jonathan was uh, uh, not even a twinkle in his father's eye at this stage. Okay, he's married to her, born and bred. Let me just say that. Okay. But none of those other people are actually staying in Peter Maritzburg anymore. But we have contact with quite a few of them. And so um, uh, I, I, I found this picture again about three weeks ago, just, just after the 2nd of October this year. And I sent it to quite a few of them. And they said, oh, we must have a reunion. That was such good memories. And I can tell you, Kukuzani was holding Abigail. Uh, the reason that the 2nd of October was the, the Sunday we started was because of him. Because we'd started just having small group meetings in our lounge every Sunday afternoon. And he said to me, he said, Pastor, I want us to worship, 
and I want you to preach the word. This sitting around and just chatting is not church. Okay. <laughs> so I said to Kazadi, let's do it. Uh, and so hence the 2nd of October, that Sunday was our first service. And those were the 20 people that were there. And uh, I mean, there's Ashley and Kanye. They had a handsome couple in the middle, sort of between us, Jen and I. And they actually, Ashley studied with Simon in Cape Town. And they still good friends. And uh, they actually stay in PE. And he was trusting God for a post, a job. He, they want to move back to Peter Maritzburg. So we trust him with them. And uh, yeah, I mean, I can tell you the stories. Oh, yes, Ntala. Ntala is sort of just behind Jenny on that side. Ntala is getting married, folks. He was literally a graduate from, from Cape Town. So he was in his people in Cape Town. He came here. He was doing his, his, like, his, his first year of work, and he joined us. And he's getting married in December. But how's this? On our wedding anniversary date. So we're delighted. We got an invite to his wedding. So we're really looking forward to that. So just such good memories. And um, I feel it's so significant that we are reopening this month, literally 15 years since we first opened. And more than that, Jenny actually put up the scripture about the kingdom of God being like a mustard seed. That Sunday, 15 years ago, that was the text I used to preach. Now, I don't know if you remember that, Jen. She did remember. Was that intentional? <laughs> okay, it was intentional. Uh, she, I didn't show her this slide. But I am actually, we, we're busy with a series. Of, uh, it was the third week of a, of a series on faith. Faithful, fresh winds and new growth. And you can actually go to the next slide. Uh, which um, I put the title up over there, and we look at Hebrews 11. But I was just struck as I was preparing again that the very first service 15 years ago, I spoke about faith. I spoke about faith like a mustard seed, because Jesus used this this used the mustard seed comparison twice. Once in the scripture, Jenny showed you where he said the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's one of the tiniest seeds. I spoke about it not too long ago again. It's like, it's smaller than a pinhead. It's a tiny little black seed. But in, in, a, in a Middle Eastern garden, it grew to be a really big tree in their, in their little veggie gardens. And, but Jesus also used this mustard seed comparison when he spoke about faith. And he said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, be cast into the sea, and it will happen. Okay? Now, we come from Cape Town. And remember, there's a mountain in Cape Town called Table Mountain. And then we moved to Peter Maritzburg, and we find there's a Table Mountain out here. And I just thought, there's just some Christians been practicing around here. Okay? Table Mountain, go to Peter Maritzburg. Okay? But this message, this message of the faith of a mustard seed, and that the kingdom of God, it always still starts small. It starts insignificant. But the impact in eternity is always huge. And I've always held on to that. You know, you do not judge a mustard seed by its size. You judge it by the DNA, by the genetic code inside. And folks, I want to submit to you, don't let people judge you by your external. Let them judge you by your spiritual DNA, by what God has placed inside of you, His greatness. If Jesus is inside of you, surrender your life to you, Jesus is inside of you, let me tell you, 
by any way you slice and dice it, your life is destined for significance. Not by worldly standards. Hey, you may not drive a German luxury sedan, but that doesn't measure a man's significance. Is Jesus inside of you? You will impact people for eternity. I promise you, you're destined to make a difference for eternity. And when we look back 10,000 years from now, as the Amazing Grace verse says, we are going to see, you're gonna, we're going to look back, and we're going to see mustard trees all over Peter Maritzburg. And we say, wow, look at that big tree over there. And we say, what's that? Ooh, ooh, look at that big one. There's sort of what Alexander wrote. And we're going to look and we say, it's Rachel Carpenter. Wow, okay, and then we're going to look there, oh, there's one there in Presbury, and oh, I wonder what mustard tree, look at that huge tree, it's Zanele, okay, why, because Jesus is inside of us, and Jesus doesn't like to be kept inside of you, he's going to come out, he's going to look outside of you, he's going to inspire you to pray for people, to bring words of encouragement, he's going to give you God ideas, then you're going to see, wow, that was a good idea, and one day in heaven, God, you're going to play the video of your life, and it's like, oh, shut, Lord, forgive me, it was your idea, I thought I was being so clever when I got that brilliant business idea, etc., you know, and everybody said, oh, that's a brilliant idea, well done, Zanele. And you go, Lord, thank you, this was you. Amen. <laughs> so, folks, this, this theme, I'm just amazed that God wasn't pre-planned, wasn't premeditated. People, uh, I'm not that clever. Okay? God is amazing, okay? That you just bring us back to our roots. And, and I went for a run yesterday, and I had, a, had such a sense of, you know, when, when, when they discovered gold, and my daughter's telling me all about this, she's learning about this in history again, when they discovered gold on the reef, um, a hundred and whatever years ago, when they first, the fire for mine first bit of gold, they never thought it was significant. But, but you know, the gold in the Vergoz Ranch goes up to, I think it's five or six kilometers deep. 120 years ago, they never knew there was so much gold there. At one stage, we were the biggest gold producer in the world. And they just, they just found a little bit of gold on the surface and they thought, okay, there's some gold, let's see what there is. Hundred and more than a hundred years ago, later they still digging that gold, folks. And, that, and I want to say that's the thing about faith. And I want to say mustard seed faith. It looks insignificant, but for the rest of your life, it's going to change your life, amen. Because this mustard seed's growing inside of you. The faith of Christ is inside of you, and faith is going to grow your whole life. And at the end of it, wow! Look at that mustard tree. The biggest garden plant there was in the Middle Eastern garden, amen. So I just feel it's so significant just how God brings us back to such important foundations. Okay, so I want to talk to you. As I was thinking about the mustard seed, and this is when I went for a run yesterday, I was thinking about the mustard seed, just how significant and how that word was, was, was sown into the foundation of this church. And that word is still growing and multiplying. That mustard tree is growing. And I was thinking about a man that was known as the peanut, peanut guy. The peanut guy. How many of you know about the peanut guy? Okay. George Washington Carver. If you don't know about him, please forgive me that I haven't spoken to him about, spoken to you about him like every month. And I want to tell you, this is from Wikipedia. Okay, I have spoken about him, but not recently. Okay. I'm a star writer. He's, he's, such, he's such a 
just such a role model, such an example. Okay, this is from Wikipedia, so just to give you the background, okay? So what Wikipedia says about him, he was an American agricultural scientist, okay? And I'm looking for a long hair right now, okay? And who else, you know, you studied ag back, okay? Where's Joyce? I don't know if she's here. She's outside. Okay, Joyce, this is for you. Agricultural scientist, stand up and come to attention, okay? He was a professor and an inventor. He was the most prominent black scientist of the early 20th century. In 1941, Time magazine dubbed Carver a black Leonardo. I remember Leonardo da Vinci, the prolific artist and inventor um, during the Renaissance period. That is the title Time magazine gives to him. I mean, he was, uh, President Roosevelt consulted him on, his, on, on, on agricultural policy for the United States. Even Mahatma Gandhi from India sought him out and consulted him on agricultural policies for India. So yes, I mean, this is, this is quite a good, I mean, if Time Magazine is calling you a black Leonardo, it's like, okay, but who is this dude, okay? For me, I would not be talking about him if it wasn't for the fact of his faith. And I heard this story about his faith many years ago, and I actually just want to put this up because he's a man, I said the peanut guy, and I'm not being irrelevant or irrelevant. Irreverent, sorry, they're very different words, okay? I'm not being irreverent when I say, who's the peanut guy? Folks, he discovered over 300 different uses for the peanut. So that's why he was known as the peanut, okay? It's not, it was, he, he, he was a very humble guy, etc. He passed away in 1943, he was born in the 1860, 1860s, sorry. I want to put up just about his faith, and then I'll tell you some of his background. So he attributed all his scientific discoveries to God. Amen. Isn't that amazing, folks? You know, it speaks in, in, in the Bible about these angelic beings that are casting their crowns before you. You know, I, I've often, with, with my children, when they've achieved something at school, we celebrate that, we celebrate them, we celebrate their ability, or wherever they celebrated, they won her whatever, something swimming or ballet or whatever. We celebrate their gifting, etc. But I've always tried to say at night, okay, Lord, we give you this medal, we give you this award. We recognize that that ability to swim fast, run fast, write well, act well, we recognize from we cast these crowns before you, Lord Jesus. He attributed all his scientific discoveries to God. When I read that, I'm like, I want to know about this dude. Tell me more, okay? He's my kind of a guy. I can relate to him, amen? He's a man of God. Look what else. I just, these are also just notes. I've cut, it, I've cut and pasted here. He said he had asked God to explain the universe to him, but that he felt God saying that that was too large a task. When he asked for something he could handle, Carver said that God directed his attention to the peanut. He said, without God, to draw aside the curtain, I would be helpless. Folks, isn't this beautiful? Mustard seed faith. You say, you're amazing. You're destined for greatness. You're about to change the world. Okay? Don't fret because there's only like just a few things you trust in God for. 
That's life changing. And when I was running, I was thinking about mustard seed faith, and I thought about the peanut guy, George Washington Carver. Folks, God told him, understanding the universe is a bit big, and he felt like God directed him to the peanut. And he said, okay, God, show me the potential of the peanut. And he discovered over 300 pieces of the peanut. Let's go to the next slide. I'll just put up. This is also cut and paste. His inventions include hundreds of products, including more than 300 from peanuts. What did he uh, discover? How to make from peanuts? How many of you did you know you can make this from peanuts? Milk, plastics, paints, dyes, cosmetics, medicinal oils, soap, ink, wood stains, etc. I mean, you know, that's not 300, okay? <laughs> and then 118 different uses from the sweet potato, molasses, postage stamp glue, flour, vinegar, and synthetic rubber, and even a type of gasoline. Okay, that's petrol. Americans are weird, they call things funny things, okay. But folks, now, this is quite a guy. I love his story. God showed him this, folks, in the peanut. And that's where he started from his, his is what he discovered about the peanut, he went into all other kinds of products. I wanna, I wanna just unpack his roots. Folks, this guy should not have happened. If you were a betting man, and you looked at this baby being born, who was later called George Washington Carver, you would not put a single cent on the chance of this guy just even surviving, never mind thriving and becoming I mean, an award-winning, famous scientist. Folks, when I said he was born in the 1860s, I say that because nobody knows when he was actually born. He doesn't know. Now, remember, the moment you look and you discover somebody was born in the 1860s somewhere, you know that that person's origins were stressful and doubtful and full of turmoil. He was born during the middle of the American Civil War. You know what the Americans were fighting about? Slavery. His parents were slaves. He was born in the middle of this war. And sometime in this war, I mean, the, the country was in carnage. It was just total, total mayhem all across the country. His family was kidnapped, which apparently was quite common those days, from, from this where, where they were working and serving on this, on this well, the, the, the Carver family. That's actually where he gets his surname from. They were kidnapped, taken away. After the war, this Carver family sought to find where, where they had gone. Folks, he was an infant. They were only able to, to find George and his brother, the only two from, from all that whole family. They just disappeared. George never knew what happened to his mother, father, etc. And And this is quite incredible. The Carver family took these two boys in there was no education available for black children in the 1860s in America. There were not schools for black children. They started homeschooling. Now listen, we've homeschooled our kids. I know what level of commitment and sacrifice it is to homeschool kids. Him and his brother were homeschooled by a white family who took them in in the 1860s. Folks, we celebrate, I celebrate every achievement George Washington Carver did. 
But remember, no man is an island. Nobody can pull themselves up by their own bootstraps, their own boot laces. Try it right now. Try and pull yourself to the ceiling by grabbing your laces and pull yourself. It's a Hollywood fantasy that people are self-made. We all have somewhere along the way people who lift us up, people who give us opportunities, people who make a way, people who believe in us. I've always said this. I pray that this church will be a place that that happens. When he, he developed love for learning, now again, two boys, same schooling. We don't know what happened to his brother. I couldn't find out what happened to his brother. But again, you know, you can't, people are different. People respond differently. Two people can get the same education. One just flies and, and, and another one just kind of wastes. I really don't know. What I do know is he developed incredible love for learning. And he pursued learning. He later went on to university, became a professor, and I mean, the rest is all well documented the rest of his life. But, but what I wanted to just highlight, when he went to study further, they asked him what his name was. He knew his name was George, didn't know what his surname was. He knew nothing about his parents. And he used to just say, George of Carver, because of this family that had brought him in. And one day, one of his teachers said, man, you can't sign your name George of Carver, just call yourself George Carver. <laughs> okay, George Washington Carver. And you know where the name George Washington came from in any case. And I'm just showing, I'm just, I'm just saying, I don't know who this Carver family was, and I could be totally wrong in terms of, you know, maybe their motives, etc. But I just know to, to make that level of sacrifice, taking on two kids and giving them an education in your home because there's nothing else available, that to me speaks of something in those people. I don't know his spiritual roots, but I would be very surprised when I, when I get to heaven and I find out about the Carvers, I'd be very surprised they didn't place godly Christian foundations in George Washington Carver's life. And I just want to say, what's interesting, we celebrate, we celebrate like George Washington Carver and with utmost respect, when we get to heaven, I believe it's going to be Mr. and Mrs. Carver homeschooled there. But I think we're going to be surprised where the rewards are going to be given out in heaven. You see, the world likes to celebrate the external. And folks, the news, our news love to celebrate the disaster, potential disaster, you know, of Senegal, etc. That was not a disaster because Christians prayed and Christians united. Amen. And the civil war that was meant to break out again in Senegal didn't happen because Christians were praying. Amen. But folks, there is more benevolence and goodwill in this nation than there is evil and hatred and mistrust. Yeah. That is my conviction. Yeah. I mean, just, I, I want to mention this, and, and I know they're probably not going to want the limelight, but Cousin Stella, they have four sons. They will always tell you they have four sons. They have three biological sons born from their loins. They have another son that they've fully embraced as theirs. His name's Sipol. He looks a lot like Cass, except his skin doesn't look anything like that, okay? Most sequels don't have skin as pale as Cass's, okay? Especially if Cass hasn't worn short pants in summer for a while, okay? <laughs> Folks, 
those stories found in this nation. Let us not be distracted by, yes, people who have selfish political agendas and will trumpet their views in places like Cincinnati. Let's not forget the Sipos and the George Washington Parks who have faith like a mustard seed are going to make a difference in this planet because Jesus Christ resides inside. Amen. I was, I, I was just, I, I nearly felt after this, preparing this, this message, I had a lot of good scriptures and I was like, I feel like if you trump this message that George Washington Carter had a Mr. and Mrs. Carter behind me. And I believe in heaven that will get rewards that we won't quite understand. Mustard seed faith. Mustard seed faith is small and significant. It's not seen, but makes people. Same name. So let's go on. And we've been doing a, a, this is a third part in a series of faith. And I, as you saw, I titled Faith for Fresh Winds and New Growth. And I want us to look at, from verse 8, in the last two weeks we did the first seven verses of Hebrews 11. And I love Hebrews 11 because the writer of Hebrews 11 is looking at these men and women of faith in the Old Testament. And he's just, it's, it's like he's got x-ray eyes on their life. And he's looking at their life. It's, it's like this man is looking at Zinzi's life. And he's seen all the faith aspects of her life, and he's just pulling it out. And I actually believe we know that Jesus had extra eyes for faith. And, and I believe actually when we get to heaven, I was thinking about it, I mentioned this last week. When you get to heaven and we want to tune into your personal YouTube channel, praise God there's going to be large sections that when you look at just red. Praise God for the cleansing by the blood of Jesus. Amen. Someone's going to celebrate about the red parts. I mean, that's the part we're really going to be happy about. Do you know the other parts are going to be celebrated? Those areas where you live by faith, where you did things by faith. The Bible actually says that, I mean, we, we looked last time, without faith it's impossible to please God. Folks, mustard seed faith. A little bit of faith you were trusting God that you would be able to be accepted into university. And I think of Joyce's story. You know, Joyce, she moved down here from, from, from Limpopo, sorry. Just moved down, came down with faith that she's going to get into this university. And today she's a professor at the very university. And she just, she literally just came down here by faith that somehow I'm going to get into this university. And folks, that just before NSFAS and all this stuff, I mean, now it's like, it's hard not to get into a university. Back then, let me tell you, it was challenging. Little faith of a young 18-year-old girl. She said, I'm going to UK. And she just got on a bus and came down. And today she's a professor in the very university that she didn't even know she would get into. Amen? That kind of stuff in your YouTube channel in heaven, we're going to love watching. Amen? So yeah, let's just read. Faith motivated Abram to obey God's call and leave the familiar to discover the territory he was destined to inherit from God. So he left with only a promise and without even knowing ahead of time where he was going, Abram stepped out in faith. Okay, again, what I underlined is what I underlined the first time. The second time I want to underline more and the third time. Then I thought, I can't underline it all. Let's just leave the first bit of underlining. 
Abram stepped out in faith. I think that's such a beautiful description of what faith is, folks. Faith is stepping out. You know, I, I appreciate that you've got faith to change the world. But you know changing the world starts by taking one step, and another step, and then another step of faith, and another step. And very often faith is simply this, that you have a conviction of what the Lord's next step is for you. Yes, faith, sometimes by faith you see a long way ahead, you see other times in life, folks, I have not been able to see way ahead. I just know the next step. I mean, God called us to Peter Marysburg. I didn't know all you wonderful people. I wish you'd called me 15 years ago and say, listen, we're here, we're waiting for you. You know, get your act together. We're waiting. Why didn't you call us? <laughs> it says over here, faith motivated Abram to obey God's call and leave the familiar. Folks, that is probably the undoing of most of us, and I put myself in that category. We love the familiar. But you know, faith moves us into the unfamiliar. And it says, to discover the territory you were destined to inherit from God. Faith is a journey of discovery. Now, I, I know different people are motivated differently. I particularly love discovering new places. But my brother and I were so different. Whenever we would go somewhere, you know, visiting somebody, you know, we visited new friends. My, my folks had friends all over the country and we'd sometimes go visit. When we would arrive there, our first thing I want to do is run around their garden and run around the house and I want to discover. My brother had a much more timid approach to life. He would follow me, okay? He would follow me. I must remember, I must let the camera. He would follow me. But folks, I want to submit to you that this journey of stepping out of faith is always going to be leaving the familiar, but it's also discovering new territory. It's discovering new things, discovering new things about yourself. Because if you stay in the familiar, you will not discover your your potential. I, I remember, you know, one of the things that was amazing to me when I was wrestling with the call of God into ministry. The question is, God, do I have, do I have that? And I remember this one girl, I was at university, she came to me. And I had just started going to Bible school. And she came to me and she asked me questions. Now, when she started asking questions, I was initially nervous because I didn't know if I'd be able to answer her questions. But you know, it was as if she pulled virtue out of my heart. And I remember sitting there and just talking to this girl called Debbie. And I was just, it was flowing. And, and I was discovering stuff about me that I had ability and insight to unpack God's word. I remember sharing things about God's word. And as I'm talking to her, I'm like, my goodness, I've never thought of this before. I've never seen this. And the virtue just flowed. You see, for me, it was unfamiliar to answer questions about the Bible and about life, etc. It was totally unfamiliar. But by faith, I took a step. And I discovered something about myself. That I have an ability to share with conviction and insight the truths of God's word. Amen. And I want to say something. Sometimes we make faith this big, scary thing. And I want to say, folks, 
for you. And I, and, I, and I love this about the Lord. I very rarely, when I counsel people about the questions of life, very rarely do they not at least know what the next step is they need to take. Must be taken. Folks, most people can take the next step. What you've got to watch out for is analysis paralysis. You know analysis paralysis? Where you are intellectualizing and considering all the options and wider, 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 wider. Don't go there. Just take the next step. It says faith motivated now, motivation is a big deal in life. Okay, remember, I don't know how many of you like watching those movies about court cases, but remember when they get onto the question of motive? What is his motive? Okay, it's a big deal in the court of law, amen? I want to submit you to the big question in life. And I want to submit you that doing things by faith is the most noble and pure motive there could be. Why? Because remember, we looked at last time, faith comes by hearing God's word. And that is God's revealed word. And so when you are motivated by God's word, that's a pure motive to take a step, to take an action, and to obey. So you know, like, you know obedience is this whole raw legalistic thing. But if the motivation is is faith, and that is because God, you have a sense of God's promises and leading direction. That's pure, that's holy, that's beautiful, that's life changing. How do we change the world? One step at a time. What does it look like tomorrow morning? I take one step. One step that I believe God is asking me to do. And Zinzi takes a step, okay? And remember, Zanelli takes a step, even though it's on crutches, okay? He takes a step, okay? And Whoever, Anne takes a step. Wow, the kingdom of God is advancing. The kingdom of God is advancing. Before long, if you look at the skirt, there's a massive mustard tree. Why? Each, every day, this step, another step. Just so beautiful. I want to go to this next slide. Acts 7, verse 4. So why I'm putting this up? Because we're going to get Abraham. And remember, here we are looking in Hebrews, and this dude is just looking at Abram's faith. Okay? That's all. Now remember, when the Lord looks with his extra eyes of faith, he doesn't see the other bits. Okay? They're all those wonderful red bits that we are so glad about. Amen? Covered by the blood of Jesus. Because we've sought his forgiveness, we've repented of our sins, we've turned from our sins, okay? And, and literally the Bible speaks about his blood cleansing us of all unrighteousness. Okay? So it's not just a metaphor, it's a reality for many of us. I trust it is for you. So in, in Hebrews, we see this faith journey, but here it's a scripture in Acts. Now this is, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, Stephen is preaching to the Sanhedrin. And he's going through the, the Bible stories, and he's under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Look what he says, verse 4 of Acts 7. Then he went out, he's speaking about Abram now, then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans, that is, one day Iraq, where his home base was, and lived in Iran. Haran was in Syria, that was halfway to the promised land. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. So Stephen is preaching to them in Israel, okay? And he's telling, this is the, he's saying, remember this journey that your spiritual father took, Abraham. He went from modern day Iraq 
which was actually Ur, the name of the city he left in, in Chaldea. And he went and he lived in Iran. And then it says, he waited for his father to die, and after his father died, God removed him from him. Underlined, lived in Iran, God removed him from him. Folks, remember in Hebrews, it just talks about how he just went to the promised land by faith and obeyed and, you know, wasn't worried about the unfamiliar, went to discover new things, and you think, wow, this is some dude, you know, can I ever live up to his standard, his expectations, he's a hero of faith, you know, kind of the, I don't know, what's a modern, you know, he's a, he's a marvel character of faith, you know, I can never, you know, I'm not a superhero faith guy. But yeah, we see a different picture. We see that after his journey, he stopped. And he lived. We don't know how long. It could have been months. It could have been a few years. And only after his father died, it says God removed him from there. Folks, do you see God's amazing redemptive heart? Abram on his journey got stuck halfway there. He wasn't there. He got stuck. He lived. His dad died. Now listen. The Bible doesn't say, but I can only imagine that he was really hurting. He was mourning the passing of his father, etc. He was in a dark place. He was probably depressed, down, and not much faith in him. God removed him. Why am I highlighting this? Because, folks, I know we talk about these heroes of faith, and you look at Hebrews, and you're like, oh God, they're, they're amazing, but this is me you're talking about here, you know? I'm just trying to, whatever, get through my studies. You know, I'm just trying to pay the bills. I'm just trying to get my kids through school. You know, I'm tired of hearing about Abraham, the superhero play. Folks, the superhero got stuck. He got stuck in the wrong. But God. God removed him. Coward, I don't know where you are in the Someone's getting stuck. If I look back, if I'm honest, I put stuck in some places. But God removing you. Are you open to God removing you from your own? Are you okay for God to move you on from mourning the death of your father? Is it major? Yes. I do not underestimate the pain and the loss you've experienced. Are you okay to be moved on now? God does not want you to stay in mourning in Haran forever. God wants you to move on to Are you okay? I have this picture of like a rock that's stuck, and you know, you're getting a, the Lord getting a, like a lever and getting it under the rock and pulling, you know, the, the whole lever actually, like, come on. Ah, sorry, since you're singing, Frank, that means you're my example. <laughs> you know, Zinzi, are you okay to move on? You've been in Haran long enough now, okay? Yes, and I mean, in, in Zinzi's case, very, very close to the bone, actually. The passing of her mom a few years ago was hectic for her. It's okay to mourn the loss of your mom, etc. But I don't know if the Lord wants her to stay in Bulawaya forever, mourning the loss of her mom. The Lord's saying, will you move on to Peter Barracksburg? Will you move on to Peter God will move us on. Are you okay? I want to pray. I really just felt that the Holy Spirit was on this. So, Lord, we bring our heart. Lord, sometimes we are just intimidated by Abraham. 
And Lord, we read this story of who gets distracted. Lord, we relate to it. And Lord, I want to pray for every single person here who's, who's got stuck in the horizon. Lord, I pray. I pray that as it says in Scripture that you would be there. Lord, that you would be us Lord, we do want to bury our fathers. We want to bury our mothers. We want to, we want to breathe well. But we do want to be one. I pray that for us as a church, for every single person here. God, may we move on. God, would you move us on? God, we say sometimes we can't move ourselves on. God, you can move us on. Get that, get that piece of, that, that, that rod in and us. Move us on, I pray in Jesus' name. Lord, you know that sticking point. You know where we're stuck. And we say, God, move us on in Jesus' name. Move us on. Lord, fresh wings and new growth. Lord, move us on from our horizons. We respect and we honor our fathers. We always will want. But we also believe they would want us to move on. I pray that, Lord, as we go into this new season, move us on. In Jesus' name. I want to just go on. I've got the scripture again on the next slide. Let's just go on. Um, here we go. It said, faith motivated Abraham to obey. And I was just, this word obey is actually a big word in scripture. And I went to just go look. And I was like, mm, Lord, there's something here. Obey is to act according to the bidding of someone. Folks, as born again believers, that's someone. Is our Lord Jesus. It's His bidding. And you know, there are two aspects to obeying. The first thing is knowing God's will, bidding. Bidding is another word for somebody's will or their desire. God has a desire for this earth, He has a desire for this, for your life, for my life. He has a will for our church. Step one is discover God's will. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You want heaven to come to earth, seek his will. But folks, knowing his will is only the first part. The second thing is to act. To act according to the bidding of something. For years I have prayed for God's will. But the next thing is God. Give me the motivation as it says in Hebrews. The motivation, the faith motivation to act, to step, to take that step in line with your life. Abram stepped out in faith. And I've, I've just been so convicted by the reality of the Great Commission on the next slide. You know, the Great Commission, I trust if you in this church you know the essence of the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations. That's what brought us here. When his people, we joined his people back in Cape Town 32 years ago, 1988. And, and our mission statement was, his commission, our mission. And you know, it was the first time I had heard it coming from a traditional background when I went to his people, his commission, our mission. What I've been so delighted about is how, how unified the body of Christ has become 
over the 30 years that I've been engaging with Christian leaders around this scripture that is known as the Great Commission, to go and make disciples of all nations. It's so unifying. I listen to church leaders from across the world, and they say, yep, that's what we signed up for. And I love it. I love it. Folks, 2.2 billion people, and I want to submit to you that God is doing a work in all of us that we are saying, yes, Lord, we hear your permission is what you're about. What I was struck by was verse 20 about Elijah and teaching them to obey everything I commanded. Remember I just spoke about Abraham? Abraham was motivated by faith. By faith, he was motivated to obey God. And folks, firstly, I want to say that obeying stepping is integral to faith. Remember James said, don't tell me you've got faith if I can't see your action. If you don't take any steps, to just keep your mouth shut. Don't stop talking about your faith. I want to see it. Folks, people in the world, I want to submit to you, sometimes, don't say anything, just, just live a life. Yeah. Drive at work on time. Yeah. Fulfill your deadlines. Yeah. Find out ways you can serve your company. Trust God for creative ideas. Your company is facing a challenge. Say, God, I'm going to pray. Give me an idea how we can bust out of this deadlock, etc. Serve your company while they're going to see your action. You say, you are different to what's about you. Verse 20, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. I have never majored on this aspect of the Great Commission. Folks, how do we disciple nations? Simply obey whatever the Lord Jesus is telling you and me to do. What does that look like? Take the next step. Take the next step, the next step of faith. that God has given you, and before long we will disciple nations. It doesn't necessarily you 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 what WhatsApp somebody a scripture. It could be that you have faith for for, for something new in your place of study, in your place of work. It could just be that you are motivated by faith to express to a family member your appreciation for everything they've done for you as members. That could just be a simple little act of Hey, Aunt Susie, I want to thank you for every Christmas you bring that amazing trifle pudding to Christmas. I want to say thank you so much. You sense the Holy Spirit could just be the door open when Susie calls you, you have a heart to heart. When Susie's going through a tough time, born, the kingdom of God is crashing. Quite simplistic. Teaching him to obey everything I've commanded you. I want to just share, and I want to close with another story. <laughs> I, I, I hope you appreciate stories. And I actually prayed this in our prayer meeting on Thursday night. And the story is of Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor was a missionary who from England went across to China and went pioneered, started the very famous England China China. Mission Society and did amazing work. I mean, he went in the early 1800s to China, did amazing work for God in China. And the story is told of how they were sailing on those on, the, on a sailing ship, and 
they hit the doldrums. Now, if you're a sailor, you don't want the doldrums. Doldrums is not that you're depressed. Doldrums is where there's no wind. Now, if you have a sailing ship that has sails and there's no wind, it's a problem. And it's literally called the doldrums. And uh, it results in, I'm sure, depression inside. And the sailors are trying to And it wasn't just the case that there wasn't any wind. They were sailing past some islands, and there were strong ocean currents. And the ocean currents started taking the ship, and the ship was being taken to some serious rocks and reefs that they could see. And, and the ocean current was going right past these rocks and reefs through, through, through some an, an island channel, and there was nothing they could do. The, the ocean current was taking them no wind. And, of course, all the sailors, they're trying their best, and eventually the captain comes to Hudson Taylor, and he says, he says, listen, I've got to tell you, we've done everything we possibly can. There's nothing more we can do. We are just waiting for our, 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 our ship to smash onto those rocks down Hudson Taylor says, we have not done anything. We have not tried. Hudson Taylor said, you're a Christian, I'm a Christian. And he said, there are two other Christians. He said, let us go into our cabins and pray. Captain, the two other guys, they go down to the cabin. Stories told, Hudson says, he wasn't praying in his, in his cabin for very long. And he got this deep conviction that the winds were coming and they needed to waste their sails. She ran up onto the deck and he called the first officer who was not a believer and he shouted to this guy. He said, hoist the sails, hoist the sails, the wind is coming. This guy, not a believer, didn't believe him and he got quite cross and they got into a bit of an altercation there. He said, you're crazy. There's no wind. There's no point in hoisting the sails. When the wind comes, we'll hoist the sails. He says, I promise you, I pray the wind is coming, hoist the sails. Eventually, you know, I think the captain doesn't say in the story, but I'm sure the captain had been the beam that hoisted the sails. The moment the sails were hoisted, whoosh, the wind came, wham, and they were able to sail past, to sail past the, the rocks. And this is my thing. Faith, you're looking at the, it says that faith motivated Abram to obey God. It says that by faith, he took some steps. Steps marching to a promised land. Hudson Taylor, what happened? He had faith that God was going to send wind. He prayed for faith. He had faith in his heart. But what did they need to do? They need to voice some sails. Because a sailing ship with wind and no sails goes nowhere. It ends up in the rocks. And I don't know, it does say that in the story I read, that there was this altercation between the first officer and him. That may not have been quite free. But I want to submit to you, sometimes, you know, to get this faith thing, there can be, you can enter into some disagreements. Now, it depends who it is, okay? You still honor your boss, even if he says, you know, your idea is crazy, you still honor him. In this, in this case, and then, you know, you literally wash your hands. I've shared this idea, what he does with it is up to him. It's like when we moved to Peter Marksburg. I shared with our church elders, and for six months, about coming to Peter Maritzburg, for six months, they said, Dan, nothing. But I said to Jen, I said to Jen, we covered the covering and the blessing of, of, of our church leaders. And if, if we will not go and find a church in Peter Maritzburg without their blessing, even though we feel we've heard from them, 
If they don't bless us, we don't grow. We're wasted in God. I told you before, shortly after that, my senior pastor turned to me in a, in a, in a, in a pastor's meeting. He said, Jock, I want to share with the guys what God what told you about him. But I rested in the fact that I'm not going to rebel against leadership. I'm going to submit to leadership even though it's uncomfortable. Amen? Hudson Taylor, I don't believe he whacked the first officer on the head. You know, the mutiny thing. I don't, I don't believe faith looks like mutiny and rebellion. I don't believe it looks like that. Okay. But faith needs sometimes to confront. You confront this guy, said, voice the sails. They voice the sails and the sails. And I want to I conclude with a story. I don't know what sails you need to waste. I don't know what first officer you may need to confront in your life. But folks, faith involves some steps. Mustard seed faith ultimately is seen. And how is it seen? Which goes to money in the garden farm? The biggest of all little is in the garden farm. So I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. I want to pray this. I want you to ask the Lord, what are the sales of faith that you need to waste? What is the next step? I'm not saying, you know, buy a ticket to Guatemala to go and reach some unlost child. I'm saying what's the next step you need to do tomorrow morning in your journey of faith. Not my journey. Please don't walk my journey. Your journey. Can we stand? Can we stand? And folks, I want you, now again, if you don't want to stand, be by all means, have a seat. Not, not manipulating this control. But I have this picture. We, we, we just love in this church doing prophetic acts. And a prophetic act is where you just do an action as an act of faith. In the Bible, often the prophets, you know, had to do things. Moses, he had to take his staff and throw it down as a prophetic act to Pharaoh, etc. So often God got people to do prophetic acts. I have this picture of sales being wasted. I have a picture of us holding up our hands. Both as an act of surrender, but as an act of saying, God, I'm going to hoist my sails of faith to catch the wind of the Spirit. I'm expectant for the wind of the Spirit. I'm expectant to be moved by you to move forward. I'm expectant that by faith, I'm going to take the next step. I'm not saying the next kilometer, next step of faith. You have to so Lord Jesus, Lord as has as as an as a prophetic act, we lift our hands. First thing to say, Lord, we surrender to you, Father. We surrender to this life of faith. Faith comes by hearing your word. Father, we're not responding to our own selfish will or prideful desire. It's your will. Father, it all starts with your will, your plan for this planet, for the city, for this church, for our life. God, we pray your will, Father. Your bidding, Lord, is what we're about. But Lord, as we see it, as we discern the next step, Father, as we lift our hands, we lifting our sails of faith, Lord, to catch the wind of your spirit. Father, we lift our sails of faith for the next step that you have for us in Jesus' name. How about we take a step? I'm going to count to three. Use a nice wooden cord that make a nice noise, another prophetic act we can do. I'm on, on three. Lord, on three, we are going to take a step as an act of faith, say, God, we're going to take the next step by faith, motivated by faith, no selfish motive, 
your heart, your passion for people, for the nations, and for our God. In Jesus' name. One, two, three. Can we do another step? Are you, have you got faith for another step? One, two, three. Yes, Lord. Lord, maybe be. Lord, we don't impress people, God. We want to impress you. Lord, I just pray for mustard seed faith. As I said 15 years ago, mustard seed faith may be evident. They come forth from our lives. In Jesus' name. God bless you folks. Listen, you are allowed to fellowship, okay? We're just not allowed to offer you tea and coffee and drinks, okay? We are trying to, we are maintaining protocols, but you are allowed to fellowship. Just keep the mask on, you can't keep it. Keep the one from afar, that's fine. Please keep the one from afar, okay? And we've got lots of space outside. We've got gardens and fields out there. So do fellowship. God bless you. And I'm so excited because next week, the woman of faith that I'm married to, my wife, is bringing the word. So we look forward to it. God bless you. Amen. Thank I just want to say, you would have seen the speaker, we turned the speaker outside, you can actually hear really good. So we have space, officially we can accommodate another 500 people out there, you just want to say, okay, we put chairs out, you have to bring in a chair, but we are making space in that. God bless you, thank you so much.